Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Jonathan Goodman. Jonathan has 17 years in the fitness industry, is the author of Ignite the Fire with a thousand five-star Amazon reviews, and founder of free software for fitness coaches called quitcoach.fit. He is most active on his personal Instagram at It's Coach Goodman. He co-hosts one of the most popular podcasts in the world for fitness and health coaches called The Obvious Choice Podcast. In the episode, Jonathan shares what sets incredible trainers apart from the mediocre ones, when you can expect to see progress from any new fitness program, why it's important to approach movement differently at different stages of life, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, They're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus buying the same things at my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order. And I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, Visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Jonathan. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Yeah, what's up? Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy that you understand why I'm in my closet. I was explaining other other guests don't find it so fun or funny or professional I even. <laughs> I can't not sing the O. Kelly, now I'm in the closet. How did I get I in this closet? Allison and I, my wife and I, when we were dating, even before we were dating, I think watched eighteen of those episodes over and mm, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we couldn't blink afterwards. It was we yeah. were just so much dumber for it. But they're really I can't not saying that. Yeah, yeah. Some. <laughs> well, you're look, welcome. Look, look it up on YouTube. Stop listening to this podcast and look up <laughs> O Kelly in the closet. If if just it's it's probably going to be a better a good use of your time. And also, you're welcome for getting that track stuck in your head for this entire hour. So. <laughs> you can thank me later. <laughs> can you start off by telling us what led you to become a personal trainer and just your background? I mean, anything you want to share with us, we would love to hear. I was a, I was a small guy. I am a small guy. 
I played sports. I was never that good at sports. I was the kid who like worked harder than everybody else and the coach felt bad for. So I just barely made the team. Mm. And then um, in, I mean, I'm from Canada, so I played hockey, obviously, because that's what we do. And everybody else just started getting bigger at like 13, 14, 15 years old. I distinctly remember facing off. We were at George Bell Arena, which is like a tough neighborhood. And I played like a higher level hockey. And I remember facing off against this kid and I looked up at him in the face-off circle and he had a freaking mustache. And I was like, I'm screwed. <laughs> and so that was the end of my hockey career so i started anyway so i mean i was faster than the other kids and i could dig around and whatever and every once in a while they caught up to me and just sat me on my ass and so i started going to the gym i started going to the ymca at 15 years old with my dad hmm. and very quickly loved weightlifting fitness and i think it was because i never really cared this is a funny thing to say but i never really cared about the name on the front of my jersey i cared about the name on the back i cared about myself like mm. i didn't care if our team won i just wanted to score goals and so weightlifting is kind of a solo effort you it's self-improvement for the sake of self-improvement you're not competing against anybody else and without knowing it at the time i think that that really appealed to me particularly as somebody who was always going to be smaller and was always kind of an underdog and so I kept with it. And then in university, like any good Jewish boy, I thought I was going to be a doctor. So I needed a science undergrad and I studied kinesiology because it was a science undergrad and I liked exercise. I worked at the university gym uh, from second to fourth year because I had a personal training session because they were free at the, at the university for – we had two free personal training sessions at the university. This is the University of Western Ontario in Canada. And I had my first personal training session at 17 years old. And I said, well, shit, I can do this. And then I went to apply to become a personal trainer to get my certification. I realized I had to be 18. So I was certified as a personal trainer a week after my 18th birthday. Oh, wow. And I worked at the university gym second to fourth year. So I was so by the time I graduated university at 21, I had three years experience working in the gym, 25 plus hours. Plus I was studying full-time kinesiology. Plus I was participating in like research studies, like outside of that. Mm. And then I started training clients full-time. Um, yeah. And then it just kind of rolled from there, I guess. And that was how many years ago? I graduated university in 2007. So I entered the industry. I started training clients in 2005. Yeah, 2005. So yeah. I've been so in the industry 22 years. years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 20, is that right? Well, I don't know. I don't do public math. I honestly don't either. That's why I put that on you. Yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> but that sounds about right. That sounds about, that's right. about right. Long time. You do a lot of great posts on Instagram. I think just kind of demystifying the field of personal training. You really speak to personal trainers a lot of the time. You share really cool stories about people you've trained in the past. Uh, but one of your recent posts you were talking about what people get wrong about personal trainers. And I'd love if you could share a little bit of that, because as I was reading through, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I think I've gotten that wrong. Oh, man, I've got to open this up. <laughs> well, I think let me let me start while I'm finding this, because I write I write so much. And as I told you beforehand, I'm writing a book. So I'm writing like two, three thousand words a day easy on other stuff right now. Right, right. And so uh, so I don't even remember. Oh, yeah, here's the post. Um I'll go back a step. I mean, it, I only started caring about Instagram about a year ago, but I actually have been writing for personal trainers. I calculated it. 
I've written conservatively about 8.5 million words for personal trainers mm. uh, since 2011, since I, since I produced my website. And I think this is what people don't understand a lot about folks who create content that actually stands out. It's like, it's more than knowing the name of something. There's uh, Richard Feynman, the famous physicist. He was part of the Manhattan Project and like super famous physicist. He would always laugh. He tells all these stories in, in there's a book that he wrote called Surely You Must Be Joking, Mr. Feynman. And he tells this story about how, you know, these kids in school think that they need to know the names of things. It's like, mm. I don't care about the name of something. I care about how it works and why it matters. And I think what you realize when you think about what makes the difference between really good content or really good communication that stands out to you and what doesn't, it's like, this dude's been here before, he's seen it before, he can simplify it. And you can only do that once you've been in the weeds of the thing for a really, really, really long time. I didn't just sit down and be like, I'm going to do Instagram. I'm a brand new personal trainer, right? Um, I trained a metric shit ton of clients and then I wrote a whole bunch of books and articles and stuff like that. And only now can I start to simplify it in short term, short for media, you know, it's, it's almost impossibly difficult to communicate well with appropriate context and nuance and keep it engaging and entertaining and hook somebody and give them food for thought and help them take one step more closer to their goals in a short form piece of content. Like it's so much harder to do that than to write an article or a book or anything like that. And then at the same time, we're pressured to do this like once or multiple times a day. Yeah. Holy crap, man. And so when you see content that stands out, like, A, respect the game because it's hella hard, but also um, that isn't just like entertainment, like actually substantial content, which there's much less of when you really pay attention to it. And then actually think about the background of the person who's doing it because in almost every case, they've been doing this for a long time. Anyway, this here's six things the public doesn't get about personal trainers that should. What is mm. it? Uh when you hire a trainer, you aren't hiring them for the hour. You're hiring them for their years of specific knowledge, hard-worn expertise. I mean, that's kind of a common thing with a lot of industries, especially industries where you pay them for the hour, isn't it? Where mm-hmm. you're not paying them for the hour of their time. The problem is that the personal training business model is ass backwards because a lot of the people who have taught the personal trainers over the years have taught bad business models. Mm-hmm. And also, it's just a really new industry. I mean, personal training started, there's a whole bunch of different people who think it started at different times, but it's kind of generally accepted. It started with a book by somebody named Dr. Kenneth Cooper called Cardio, which came out in the 1970s. And so, actually, it might not have been the 1970s. It's called Aerobics by Dr. Kenneth Cooper. So, like, the personal training industry started kind of in earnest in the 1970s, which means the personal training industry is new edging on teenagers, edging on we're all peacocking, going through puberty, having no idea what the hell we do, we think and trying to impress folks, but we're not actually confident in ourselves. Mm. And so there's a lot of bad business models. And one of those bad business models is communicating to our clients, hey, in our session is X. It's like, nah, you're paying me for a change that you want to make. You're paying me to become or to help you in your journey to become the type of person that you want to become. This is a change conversation. This is a transformation conversation. Whether 
you get on the phone two times with me or five times or no times is kind of irrelevant. My job is to give you what you need, when you need, how you need it. And that's going to change for everybody. And it's also going to change different seasons of lives. And so uh, I think it's important people kind of understand that. Like the best personal trainers aren't the best rep counters. None of us can count to seven anyway. Uh, Next one. (laughs) This one's one's interesting. IG Fitness would be boring if trainers actually shared their workouts because they – because real good training is same shit, different shirt. Basically, training's repetitive. The body adapts to increasing stimulus and gets stronger in order to overcome stimulus or better prepare itself. The whole point of training oneself is to become tolerant of your intolerances. You're going to roll your ankle. The question is whether when you roll your ankle, you sprain it. And it puts you on crutches or not. You're going to encounter pathogens. You're going to have cancer cells in your body. The question is whether these things take over your body and cause serious problems or not. And there's, don't get me wrong, there's a tremendous amount of genetics involved. There's a tremendous amount of luck involved in a lot of this too. But the stronger you make your body, the better prepared your body is to deal with whatever it needs to deal with because it's going to deal with shit. And... The way you make your body stronger is you teach it systematically to push against its comfort zone. That doesn't happen by doing some jumpy, twisty, swingy thing on a BOSU ball on one leg one day and then the next day jumping up and twisting in a different way and touching the floor and whatever. And so there's nothing wrong with doing exercises that look fun and interesting and are impressive. But the part that's often missed is that Instagram and social media that's in our faces is largely entertainment. It's not information. And in in almost every case, the people demonstrating these things have owned the right to demonstrate them, right? They're how they celebrate being in good shape. They're not how they got into good shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, I like doing new stuff too. I like exploring my physicality as well. Right. But if I have trouble running 500 meters one day, well, I'm going to run 500 meters and try to do a little bit faster. Then I'm going to do 550, then 600. Then maybe I'm going to try to hit 800. I'm not going to – I'm just going to keep pushing that up. Uh, I don't know. You want me to keep rolling on these? (laughs) Yeah, maybe another one that you think – because I do think there's some misconceptions out there about personal trainers, especially, as you said, because of – social media. Um, and I think that's a really good point you just made that often if you're training, right, it's redundant. So it's not that you're doing something wrong if you're not switching it up every single day. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's the trainer's responsibility to set expectations with you and also to make sure that you're okay with it and to make sure that it's okay for you to say stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of what I wish they taught more to trainers is just good communication skills, particularly things like uh, motivational interviewing, where my job is not to distill down from the heavens some perfect plan for you, right? My job is to help you transform into the person you want to be. And a part of that is this give and take in a relationship. Like it needs to be okay for you to say stuff for me and for me to also set the expectations. So I would say to you, Brooke, I would say, you know, hey, look, 
just so you know, here's how the program is going to be. I would probably draw it on a chart. I would say, hey, for the first give or take six to eight weeks, most of your adaptations are actually going to be largely neurological. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some muscular changes there, but you probably won't really see them in the mirror. You're going to feel stronger. Mentally, you're going to feel better. And, and obviously, you're going to be healthier. But the first six to eight weeks, the changes are largely physiological or neurological. Then there's a point where the lines cross, where muscular changes start to take over. Now, neurological and muscular changes always happen at the same time, but the relative contribution of both of them kind of changes. So at about the six to eight week mark of a consistent, somewhat repetitive program where it is being progressive, like I'm going to progressively overload you, but we're going to repeat the same stuff you'll start to see changes. And it's actually pretty phenomenal when it happens. Like anybody who's been through it, boom. There's a mark where every time they show up, they wake up in the morning, they're like, how the hell did I get that line in my body? Like, <laughs> holy shit, right? Most people never get to that point because they feel like they need to quote unquote change it up every four weeks. And what they're doing is they're actually never getting out of that neurological change zone. They're forcing their body to, they're confusing their body too much, which is... Mm. A, not a real thing. It's just marketing lingo. Um, the muscle confusion doesn't exist. It's just a marketing term. Mm. But also, they're just forcing their body to adapt neurologically over and over and over again. And the relative muscle adaptations that you're actually going for, in most cases, uh, never have a chance to really kick in an earnest. So I would just communicate them and I'd show them a chart. I mean, you could like I could draw this out for you in two seconds, right? What it looks like. And then I would say, but look, if you're getting bored or you feel this dragging on, tell me. We can always adjust stuff to make it more fun for you while not losing the, the, the value of the program. Mm -hmm. right? And it's important to get in front of it there. Um, uh, I don't know. You said you want one more? Sure, yeah. You want to talk about soreness? You can talk about yeah, muscle soreness. Yeah, let's talk about that. All right. Muscle soreness is a really funny, weird thing because it messes with your mind. Like I'm, I'm hella sore right now and I'm like, oh, I had such a good workout yesterday. But at the same time, I'm like, but I also understand that soreness actually has nothing to do with having a good workout or not having a good workout. Soreness occurs when you do things that you're unfamiliar with in the gym and then a bad rest, bad nutrition Poor hydration also contributes. So, yeah, I'm probably more sore because I have a five-year-old and I have a 10-month-old <laughs> and they kind of flip back and forth, whichever one decides not to sleep at night. Mm. And uh, and it's kind of not fair. I think I maybe got three hours last night. But so I'm sore and it has nothing to do with whether or not I got a good workout. In fact, it probably, if, if you're always sore, it probably impairs gains more than adds to them because A, if you're always sore, you, you, unless you're like misogynist, which you might be, you're probably not like looking forward to going to the gym as much. But also you can't train as hard if you're really sore going to the gym or as often. And, uh, and soreness may result from the same stimulus that helps you improve your fitness, get into better shape, gain more muscle, but it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. And so that's a misconception. So don't think that just because you are sore or you're not sore, you've got a good workout. Mm -hmm. Instead, look at markers of progression. Can you do a little bit more 
this time than you did last time? Can you do it a little bit faster? Do you feel a little bit less winded? Whatever that is, is a much better marker of progression than soreness actually is. That having been said, <laughs> I still like being sore, yeah. uh, which even though I know all of these things, which is kind of shows you how powerful it is. Mm-hmm. But then, so if somebody's looking for a trainer, let's say they think they found somebody who's great, but then they're not leaving feeling sore all the time. They may they're probably a good that. trainer. Right. You probably so, you prob that probably means you found a a really good trainer. Got it. Okay. It probably means you found a really good trainer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so as long as they're really pushing good. you hard, as long as it's hard and you feel like you're getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you're like hardly sweating for sure. I mean, even if you're relatively new, a good trainer understands how to how to test you in a way that's within your comfort zone. And it doesn't mean you're going to be, you know, peeling your ass off the floor at the end of the session. It might not ever mean that. Like, I like it, but that's because... I don't know. It's my mental health outlet. Like that's my meditation is basically working myself to the floor, but I'm weird and it's not (laughs) necessary. And, uh, and, and a trainer doesn't need to make you do that either for you to get results. So don't think that that's the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm also really glad you mentioned the six to eight week thing in terms of seeing change because I work with a lot of people more on the nutrition side and it takes a while, right. To see the change. You can feel better overnight. Mm -hmm. Even you can have more energy, just changing your diet in one day. You can feel better. It's amazing. Exactly. So focusing on that is so much better. And I like how you named those other things of how you feel, you feel stronger, you feel more confident, you feel all these great things, but you may not see the physical change for a while. And so if you go into a new weight training program expecting to see immediate results, then you're likely to give up before the end of that six to eight weeks. Yeah. So did you see what I posted today? You might not have. I did not, no. Oh, I only posted it six hours ago. So it's exactly this. So what I posted today is, I'll read you, it's super, super short. Yeah. It's a realistic exercise results timeline. Okay. Day one, improved mood and brain function. Week one. Improved energy and health. Month one, improved metabolism, muscle mass, and fitness. Month three, noticeable in the mirror results. Hmm. Month six, compliments begin. One year plus, increased life expectancy. Wow. I think it's really valuable. I'm surprised that this one isn't like quote-unquote performing as well as I expected it to because I think it's just like doesn't make people angry enough. I feel like on the internet, unless you like make people angry, then you don't. It's so sad. It's so so stupid. Um, I mean, I even wrote a book about that. It's called Vionomics and it talks about negative and positive polarities and how to create messages that share. Like I can tell you all of this stuff. Um, I wrote like this was the number one marketing book in the world when it came out was, was this book about that. And so I can tell you all of this stuff, but I don't do it because I think that it's a net negative for the world for the most part. And so anyway, um, this post, I think it's really valuable and I think it's great that you do it, Brooke, for, I mean, nutrition, fitness, 
anybody who's trying to help people transform, I mean, the majority of our clients begin for extrinsic motivators, how they look, how they want others to perceive them, right? That's just the reality. And then they continue for intrinsic motivators. Mm -hmm. And so marketing kind of has to be based on extrinsic motivators and then coaching kind of needs to be based on intrinsic motivators mm -hmm. uh, if, if you do a really good job. And so I think it's really important to quantify these changes and make it very, very clear and also highlight wins that align with these changes for clients at these different timelines. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's a good point. And then to also your point of redundancy, let's say somebody's not working with a personal trainer. So they're doing more of a video program. Sure. And I'll hear a lot from clients. Oh, you know, I'm getting bored with this. So what do you recommend that people do if they have this video they're doing? And so if they've kept following that, they can keep what? adding weight this is this is like an app that they're this is somebody's an app, that app they're using yeah or something. so a peloton app or some sure. people really like the beach body workouts or there's some good youtube videos and so oh. some of them have really strong programming and if you were to keep doing that one video you would add more weight and do the progressive overload thing and start to see changes but then when you get bored with that what do you recommend for people if they're kind of doing the fitness thing on their own hmm not working right. with a trainer, what do they do? <laughs> I mean, find a really good app or coach that sells programs. Okay. Because what, what coaches will do is they'll sell multiple stages of programming, right? For, for call it beginner, intermediate, advanced. Um, and they will, they'll dictate progressions and regressions. Like anybody who builds a remote program. So let me take it back a step. So I wrote the textbook for online fitness. And um, part of what we teach in that are the differences between coaching somebody online and coaching somebody in person. In person, you can be much more reactive. Online, you have to be much more proactive and lateral, which means when you build your programming online for people, you have to sidestep issues before their issues because you can't respond to them. Mm -hmm. Just as one very, very basic example, uh, if I know that my clientele are people who sit at a desk a lot, okay, whatever, professionals who sit at a desk or, I don't know, online nutrition coaches. Yeah. <laughs> if I know one. that, right? They're largely, they're, they're going to be in internal rotation a lot. They're going to be sitting at a desk with their arms in front of them. And, um, and it's, the odds are relatively good that they're going to have some sort of slight impingement in their shoulder. Now this depends on the space in their acetabulum or in their, in their, in their shoulder joint, not acetabulum, it's hip. Anyway, it it's, depends on their space in their, in their shoulder joint. Right? And it might be the case, it might not. But I'm not going to lock them into a bench press. Because if I lock somebody into a bench press, I might exaggerate that impingement. Now, if I'm working with that person in person, I can put them in a bench press, I can test that movement, I can ask them how it feels, I can watch how they move. And I can decide whether it works for them or not. I don't have that benefit. So I'm going to program instead in incline neutral grip press. So basically, I'm going to take two dumbbells, not a barbell, right? I'm going to turn the hands so the thumbs are facing each other 
on an incline to reduce stress in the joint, and I'm going to have them doing a press with the dumbbells. So there's there's programming modifications that intelligent trainers will put in, knowing their audience, knowing issues that may arise because of their audience. And they're going to program around it before the issues arise so the issues never arise. Now, the problem with this is if they do a really good job, you didn't even know they did it. And so you don't really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. There's a really interesting thought experiment by uh, Nicholas Nassim Tlaib, author of Black Swan and Anti-Fragile and, and a couple of those books. And this is the thought experiment is that imagine that somebody went into the airport, whatever, the, the international aviation offices, let's assume they exist. Maybe they do. <laughs> Sounds On good to me. September 10th, 2001, and said – there's an impending disaster. We are, we need to, to, to lock down with steel doors all of the pilots. We need to increase the security. Um, he would have gotten laughed out of that office. Mm-hmm. But he also would have stopped what many speak about as one of the greatest tragedies and modern American history. Now, whether it actually is by the numbers or not, you could argue that, but it's generally considered to be one of them. Right? Meanwhile, after the attacks on September 11th happened and all of, the, all of the first responders went in and the firefighters, the police officers, all of the medical personnel went in and were responsive after the problem happened, they were justifiably and rightfully received tremendous accolades. Meanwhile, if you listen to this guy in the first place, they wouldn't have been necessary. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the biggest issues that we have. So that's a complete thought experiment, right? And it's a bit ridiculous and it's meant to be because it's a thought experiment. But that's one of the biggest issues with preventative health versus reactive health. I love doctors. I love physiotherapists. I love chiropractors. I love massage therapists. But you can't sit here and tell me that I'm wrong if I say we wouldn't need three quarters of them if more people exercised regularly. Mm. And the problem is that exercised and ate well and whatever. The problem is proactive versus reactive health. It's, you never know if you do something proactively, whether it avoids a problem or not. That always trips me up. That's crazy to think about. You're just playing the odds. I know, it's crazy. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. I mean, think about. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna bring up something super controversial in a very, I uh, hopefully non-controversial way. Anthony Fauci. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
doesn't matter what my opinions are on COVID. Here's one of the things that he said very early on. This was like February 2020. He said, there is no way that I'm going to win this. Because if I'm right, or not if I'm right, but like if we take extreme measures and as a result, we stop the spread of COVID-19, people are going to say, what the hell are you doing? Wasn't a problem. Why'd you shut down the economy? Why'd you lock everything down? You interrupted our lives. But if I don't, and a whole lot of people die, then a whole lot of people die and it becomes a big problem. He says, he, sa- he, he called it yeah. before any of this happened. You could find the videos. Terrible job to have, yeah. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, straight up, I know going in that there is absolutely no way that I can win. Mm. I know that I will be the villain no matter – I'm putting some words. I don't know whether he said villain, but he effectively said, I know that I'm going to be the villain. And I don't know. You, everybody has their opinions on him. I, to be honest, I don't really have an opinion or don't have an opinion. <laughs> but I just think – I think it's such a – that he had that awareness at the beginning and the relations to what we do. I mean, if somebody – takes great care of themselves. And I mean, it's a sacrifice, right? To eat well. It's a sacrifice to wake up before your kids are up and go for a jog or an exercise or whatever it is. It would be easier not to. And you never get sick. Well, did the exercise result in you not getting sick? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But if you do get sick... And you didn't do that, and a doctor heals you, you're going to pay that doctor a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any answers. Yeah. No, this it's, is the it's situation a crazy thing. Yeah. It's, I think it was Steve Jobs who said you can never connect the dots forwards. You can only connect the dots backwards. Yeah. And I think about that all the time. And we just hope it's kind of like this insurance policy, right? Your body, you're just putting all of this effort in now, and hopefully you get great results on the back end, you know, down the line, but you'll never know. And that's one of the hard things I think is, you know, often people do feel very motivated by these extrinsic things or even an event, let's say if I have a wedding mm-hmm. coming up and I'm going to be the mother of the bride and it's in six months and I want to feel really good and I want to look good in the dress. And so then they'll be really focused and dedicated right. and motivated for that six months. But then the wedding passes and then what? It's harder to kind of think I'm going to keep this up now for the next 30 years yeah. to hopefully ward off some illness 30 years down the road. So you do a lot of talk, though, around which I like, which is motivating to me of you'll say things like many of the people I went to high school with look 10 years older than I do. You know, like God, even so sad. keeping the vanity thing front and center. I mean, if that's what motivates you. Just, you know, I want to feel younger. I want to look younger. I mean, that could be a very powerful motivator yeah. to stick at I something. Just, I just turned 40 and I don't want to look my age. Yeah. I think I think your example of, uh, of, of the mother of the bride who wants to, what did you say? Look good in a dress. Look good for yeah. the wedding, let's yeah. say. In six months, I think it's the coach's job 
to identify and highlight a lot of the intrinsic wins mm-hmm. while they're going. Yeah. And they might hit it hard for an event. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I actually believe that that's the way that we get better in fitness and in business. I don't think that – let me take a step back. Our bodies work on homeostasis. I don't need to tell you this. But our bodies work on homeostasis. They find a, a level point. And to get away from that, either decrease our fitness or health levels or increase our fitness and health levels measurably, we have to do pretty radical things. Once we get to a certain state of fitness, it becomes much easier to maintain that state, both because your habits are now in that state. You become to self-identify with that state. So there's a lot of psychological reasons, but even physiological. Muscle cells are the only multinucleated cell in the body. So if a muscle cell atrophies because of inactivity, the nuclei, i.e. the information in that cell, are still there, which means that somebody who had a lot of muscle at one point but has since lost it will regain that muscle much faster Hmm. than if they originally had it, which is one of the reasons why you can't trust and have to be very, very skeptical of before and after photos that Mm -hmm. seem radical. Because even if a before and after transformation photo is real and not fake, well, oftentimes what happened was the person previously was in very good shape. Mm -hmm. And to get back to that level is much easier than doing it originally. And oftentimes what happens is they promote this product or system or whatever it is to people who are brand new, right? But they're using the example of somebody who was already here, who then went down to there, and now getting back to here is much easier. So, so anyway, so our bodies exist in this state of homeostasis. And to get out of that state actually is best done with a very intense short burst mm-hmm. to almost reset your homeostatic, homeostatic level. And so I actually don't think that there's anything wrong with going super hard. I actually organize my life based off of four to six month batches. And every four to six months, I reset my schedule and I reestablish my fitness goals and my priorities. Hmm. And I restart. And so right now, I'm in a season of my year of my life. I'm about three months into it. Well, I'm all in balls to the wall fitness. I'm in Mexico. This is what I do when I come to Mexico was fitness and family are the number one priorities businesses. Second, when I go back to Toronto at the end of the month, I'll flip back. Fitness will be put on more of a steady state level. It's still going to be important. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to be pushing it forward, right? I'm going to be largely maintaining what I have. And then I'll do another really intense three to four month boost where I try to get to the next level. I do the same thing with business where business I have found works very much the same way. It's very, very difficult to slowly, reliably, consistently inch forward in business. Mm-hmm. It actually happens with quantum leaps. It's kind of like a staircase type. You're almost like you're up, you're down, you're like sideways, and then something happens, boom, and it's just a jump forward, right? And then you're at that level for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's actually relatively easy to stay at that level. Mm-hmm. And then you can decide. Right now, I've decided that I'm good Mm business-wise. Like, I don't need to push. Things are good. 
and it's relatively easy for me to stay at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I wanted to push forward again at some point, maybe when my kids are grown up, I'd go for a very intense four to six month burst on it. So all of this to say, I don't think it's a bad thing to have something that you're training for in the short term. As long as you understand that fitness is not a 30 or 60 or 90 day challenge, that's not to say that you can't use a 30 or 60 or 90 day challenge to get you to a new level of fitness. But once it's done, you don't just stop, you figure out a way to maintain that new level and celebrate being at that new level. That's a great way to think about it. And I think it's so important to have that adaptability because we do go through different seasons of life. I mean, you mentioned you have a 10 month old baby, you know, when you had a newborn, things probably looked even different than they do now because you have a newborn. Oh, newborn's easy. easy. Okay. Well, people would disagree. Uh, We're we're at the phase now. (laughs) Well, I mean, newborn, newborn's easier for the man put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh because the man's kind of useless. The man's the man's job is to look after the woman. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, right. but but we're at the point now where um Jaden actually Jaden's my 10 month old. Um he took his first step yesterday. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the point when a kid can start to move really fast, but is not yet smart enough to know where to move or where not to move. Or how not to pull things down on themselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you live in Mexico where they certainly don't have the same safety requirements uh, and the walls are higher voltages and often have holes in them and there's wires hanging down everywhere. And uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on. You're in a minefield. You, you kind we've kind of, Allison and I have kind of just accepted that we're just not going to sit still again yeah. for the next year. <laughs> At least. Well, that's good to kind of accept, but I think very important <laughs> to understand your current reality and how do diet and fitness play a role at this time in your life? Because I think people go wrong when they think, okay, this is how it's got to be forever. I have this new program, whether it's for nutrition or exercise. And then when something happens that that program doesn't work anymore, then people are like, oh, well, now I have nothing. I can't do anything. And really the question is, okay, how can I still prioritize my fitness? How can I still do this in this new season of life? So let me let me give you like like a philosophy that I live by. Okay. And then I'll give you a couple – um, I mean, in particular, there's one that's coming to mind, just like tips that I've just found has been really useful in ways to think about fitting it in. And so the general philosophy is people often seem to, and it's perfectly logical to do this, seem to say, oh, you know, I'll wait till things are good. I'll wait till I have time to start an exercise or fitness program. I don't think that that's the right approach. I actually think that you should start when things are the hardest. Because then you'll figure out how to fit it in when things are hard. And if you figure out how to fit it in when things are hard, it'll be really easy to fit it in when things are easy. Um, If you figure out how to fit it in when things are easy, when you have lots of time, I can tell you right now it's going to be hard at one point. And that's just the way that life works. But even just bad and good are relational emotions. You 
the only reason good exists is because it's the opposite of bad. You can't have good without bad. Now, your good might be different than my good. Your bad might be different than my bad. They might be objectively, it might be better or worse. But the reality of it is you will have good times and you will have bad times. That's just a pure logic statement. And so you got to understand how to fit it in when things are bad, when you're busy, when you're over busy. And that might mean you get up from bed and I don't know, you do 15 minutes of air squats and a plank. Like it doesn't matter. Um, it just matters that you, that you figure that out. The second one is though, I think a lot of what we've been taught about figuring out what's important with exercise is wrong. There's a book that I have notes to write at one point that I will write at one point. And the book is about what I believe really matters with fitness. And you know what the number one thing is? Consistency. Proximity and convenience. Hmm. Proximity Which and convenience. Which then help with consistency, I guess. Yeah. Which helps with convenience or with helps with, with consistency. Uh-huh. I... Uh, is it the best workout? Is it the worst workout? Is it the best diet? Is it the worst diet? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows what that really means anyway. As a consumer, you're, unless you are a fitness expert, and even if you are, you kind of have to admit your ignorance. Um, I'm ignorant. You're ignorant. That doesn't mean we're stupid. Ignorance is a domain-specific term. We are ignorant towards almost everything we do in this world. There's just too much shit to know. And one of the most important steps, I think, is to admit our ignorance towards just about everything that we don't maximize in. Like, I don't think you're ignorant in nutrition. But I can tell you right now, I'm ignorant in nutrition. It's never been anything I focused on. I got like an 80-20. But if I were to hire a professional to help me with my nutrition, I would not be able to properly gauge whether they are legitimately good at what they do or not. Mm. And I wouldn't even try because I would accept that I'm ignorant there. And so I think it's very important. I think understanding how to make good decisions, how to skew the odds in your favor is really, really good. And also understanding that if you do that, it still might not work out. And that's also okay. I mean, the the best investors in the world. I, I study wealth management a lot just because I think it's fascinating and super important, but also because I think in terms of learning how to make good decisions and navigate the world, I think studying wealth management is about as good as you can get. And so the best decision makers in the world are the top wealth managers. It's just where the most money is. <laughs> and so they are have about a 60 to the absolute best in the world have about a 65% success rate. And what that means is that if you invert it, because you should always invert problems in order to see them from a better way, they're wrong four out of 10 times. The literal best decision makers on the planet are wrong four out of 10 times in the domain that they are the absolute utmost experts on. They're wrong. Four out of ten times. The worst decision makers on the planet probably have a 10% hit rate because there's a lot of luck involved. 
So you think about examples like the Dogecoin millionaire, if anybody followed that like a couple of years ago, you know, this guy knew that he, because Elon Musk tweeted it, he knew that he should invest all of his money into Dogecoin and he did and everybody celebrated him. Oh my God, how did you know? It's like, well, actually what happened was this guy made a dumb fuck decision and it worked out for him. Yeah. Because... If you have a 5 or 10 or 2% possibility of success, what that means is that 2% of the time, it's going to work out for you. Now, this guy, of course, kept making stupid decisions and now he's broke as a joke, but you don't hear about that. Mm -hmm. And herein lies one of the issues with our sensationalistic media these days is we, we celebrate the outliers. It makes good stories. We remoke on them because they're remarkable. When you hear things like that, the only reason you're hearing about them is because they're outliers, is because they're remarkable. You don't hear about people who just live their lives the right way and get rich slowly and make good, smart family investment decisions. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to fitness, it's the same type of thing. You hear about these crazy outliers and these sensationalistic things. I think what's most important is that you just figure out a way to move a couple of times a week. You can, you can optimize later. Mm-hmm. I'll, give you, I'll give you an example with this. Is that cool? Yeah. Just to like really bring it home. Um, about a 15-minute bike ride from my house, there's a gym in Toronto where I live. There's a gym called Torque Barbell. Torque is one of my favorite gyms in the world. It's a fantastic gym. I love Dan's the owner. Love. About five minutes from my house, there's the Memorial Pool and Community Center. Torque is an incredibly motivating space. It's got all the right equipment. Awesome space. Memorial has just enough equipment, not much at all. I'm generally the youngest person there by 30 years (laughs) when I go. Memorial happens to be right beside my kid's school. Shares a parking lot. And so I don't go to Twerk Barbell. I drop my kid off for school at 8.30 in the morning. And I'm changed and working out at Memorial at 8.35. Mm-hmm. And I am in no way, shape, or form getting as good of a workout. But proximity and convenience. Yeah. I'm going because I'm dropping my kid off at school anyway. So I'm tagging that habit onto the back of it. And it's easy. And, and I don't have to think about it. Yeah. It's not a separate activity. Yeah. I've always said that and... I just call myself lazy because I feel like most humans are right. If it's right there, I'm going to do it. If it's 10 minutes Mm -hmm. away, I'm not. Uh, But I'm glad that you are echoing this, that this is okay. It's okay to be this way. And there are other people. (laughs) Most of us are actually like this. I love being lazy. Yeah, (laughs) me too. I love being lazy. One of my favorite essays of all time is by somebody named Tim Kreider. And he's a, he was a New York times cartoonist. And, uh, and an essayist. And he wrote a book called We Learn Nothing. I'm trying to find the quote. Uh, oh, my God. Where is it? It's so good. Yeah, here. 
and so this this is from something called Lazy, a manifesto. Hmm. And I'm telling you it because I think that you'll enjoy it. I don't know if your listeners will care that much. But here's what he said. I can't help but wonder whether all this histrionic exhaustion isn't a way of covering up the fact that most of what we do doesn't matter. Yes, I know we're all very busy. But what exactly is getting done? Are all those people running late for meetings and yelling on their cell phones, stopping the spread of malaria or developing feasible alternatives to fossil fuels or making anything beautiful? I'll say it. I am not busy. I am the laziest, ambitious person I know. <laughs> I love it. I love that, actually. <laughs> I'm going to look that up. That's a good quote to live by. And I think there's a lot of talk sometimes from people I follow of like, what's the bare minimum, right? Do the bare minimum, stay consistent. Mm -hmm. Don't overwhelm yourself with 8 million accounts online. Just follow a few people yeah. who are telling you the basics, the basics work. They're often boring. I mean, all this stuff I think is just good to remind ourselves of. Not, not doing something that doesn't need to be done is a wonderful way to spend your time. I agree. Yeah. The secret isn't working more. It's getting better at choosing what you do. Yes. And if you can't fit everything you need to do into your week, you don't need a fucking time management app. Yeah. You yeah. need to get better at picking what to do. Yeah. Because most of what you think you have to do, you probably don't have to do. Right. And, and you know, even to take it one step farther, like anxiety and overwhelm don't result from the amount of work we have to do. They're the result of not knowing whether the work we're doing is making any damn difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. Well, I could talk to you for hours, but I know you have a, a podcast day, so you've got other stuff to do. Yeah, uh, podcast day. I know. So where can listeners follow and find you? Yeah, I'm, I'm at It's Coach Goodman on Instagram, if you're on Instagram. And then uh, if you are a coach of any kind, I think you'll really enjoy our podcast. It's called The Obvious Choice, uh, and it's on all the podcast platforms and stuff. Awesome. Well, I will send people to both of those places through the show notes. And Jonathan, just thank you so much again for being here, for giving us your time. I especially love the lazy quote at the end. <laughs> How good <laughs> is that? Can't wait to look that up and look print up, it out somewhere. Um, <laughs> I, think the, I think the audio of it is actually on YouTube. Mm, nice. Um, but you can, find, you can find the essay for sure. But definitely pick up, pick up uh, the book of essays. It's called We Learn Nothing mm. by Timothy Kreider. It's really good. Tim... He's Tim Kreider is an author for something else too. So make sure you get like the oh, okay. New Yorker cartoonist and, and essayist. But I also love that yeah, idea of you're a lazy, ambitious person, right? It's not like you're I'm a lazy, just, ambitious person. I'm not sitting around doing nothing, but I'm just optimizing mm -hmm. my time so that I can sit around and do nothing sometimes. <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> but I'm still getting not, a lot done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's doing less, but better, isn't it? Exactly. It's, yeah. If I choose to do something, if I choose to go somewhere, if I choose to show up, I'm going to show up. Right, right, right. Or I don't. Yeah. And I think both of those things are perfectly fine. I agree. Well, thanks again, Jonathan. Looking forward to staying connected off air. Bye-bye. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis.
always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.